0: of the podcast. my podcast where I discuss writing. Specifically today, David Sedaris is writing. As we continue, let's explore diabetes with owls. The first essay, and maybe the only essay I'm reading today, is called Easy Tiger. Now, if you're not familiar with the podcast, and this is your first go around, this is not an audiobook podcast. This is a podcast where I read and discuss and analyze and I often offer my own personal experiences that are similar to the authors so if you've come for an audiobook podcast I'm sorry to disappoint you however before I get into the book we have our typical housekeeping to do I didn't have the most spectacular day today and I posted about it on Twitter, and literally no one said anything about it. So I deleted the tweet, but I still vented in other ways about the experiences that I had today. It's interesting that uh, there are people who give genuine complaints about their lives on twitter and everyone's like oh i'm sorry (sighs) but when i do it people are fucking radio silent because most of my tweets are humorous but when i'm real nobody really gives a shit Um, i'm not sure what to do with that i already know that most of the people on twitter and i are not friends i'm not under that illusion there are people on there who i very much like who I would consider a friend. But for the most part, most of the people who are following me were not friends. There's no way I could have over 12,000 friends. There's just no way. My friends in real life are very few. I maintain those friendships the best that I can. And adulting as they say, makes it harder to maintain friendships. So, doing 40-hour work weeks, going to grad school, maintaining a marriage, makes it harder to have friendships. But I do, for sure. There are a lot of people out there with bugs up their asses and chips on their shoulders, and I feel sorry for those people. The way that they're instantly just acidic and poisonous and toxic towards you and I try not to be that way. Now if someone is rude to me from the get-go you know I don't immediately start calling them names and stuff in fact you'll find it difficult to find even tweets where I call people names because I find that childish. It's not to say that when I'm driving or when I'm alone at home and someone pisses me off I don't say oh fuck what an asshole. Everyone does that, but I i don't really, I don't, i put it this way. My wife likes calling people names when they piss her off. Uh, I don't do that, and so when she gets pissed off at me, uh, I don't engage in the same level of correspondence and communication. I love my wife. She's actually very intelligent. She doesn't always think that she is, but she is. And she navigates the world a bit differently than than me because she's actually really good at faking. She's really good at making people think that she's a really sweet, nice person. And I love that about her. I love hearing her pretending to actively listen to people. It's great. Anyway, I'm boring myself and my wife is in the other room taking a shower so My train of thought is not as uh, cohesive as it should be. So we're going to get into Easy Tiger by David Sedaris. On a recent flight from Tokyo to Beijing, at around the time that my lunch tray was taken away, I remembered that I needed to learn Mandarin. God damn it, I whispered. I knew I forgot something. Normally when landing in a foreign country, I'm prepared to say at the very least, hello and I'm sorry. This trip, though, was a two-parter and I'd used my month of prep time to bone up on my Japanese. For this, I returned to the penciler audio program I'd relied on for my previous two visits. I'd used it in an Italian version as well as had noted that they follow the same basic pattern. In the first 30-minute lesson, a man approaches a strange woman asking in Italian or Japanese or whichever language you've signed up for, if she understands English. The two jabber away for twenty seconds or so, and then an American instructor chimes in and breaks it all down. Say, excuse me, he says. Ask, are you an American? The conversations grow more complicated as you progress, and the phrases are regularly repeated so you don't forget them. I am currently, I'm actually on pause with this podcast because the way I learned language is a bit different than what people prescribe. I am listening to Coffee Break French, which is actually a podcast that was on the air. I say on the air, but it was uploaded to the interwebs when I was taking French in high school, but I didn't know about it. I didn't start listening to podcasts until I was out of college. But I think my French teacher at some point may have used it in class, and I could be wrong, but they go over basic phrases and then they progress with each episode, but the issue with doing it as a podcast I mean, it's intended to be used for your coffee break, so it's not very long. Now, I understand most of what's going on in the podcast, but since I work while I'm listening to it, I'm not catching everything. So I've re-listened to several episodes, and I've gotten to a point where I had to stop because I'm going to have to re-listen to all of them, you know? And the reason I'm going over them is not because... I'm going to France, it's because I have to pass a foreign language exam for my master's degree, which is bullshit, but hey, I didn't make the rules, somebody else did, someone much smarter and wiser than me. Not all the sentences I've learned with Pimsleur are suited to my way of life. I don't drive, for example, so which is the road to go to Yokohama never did me any good. The same is true of, as for gas, is it expensive? Though, I have got some mileage out of, "Filler up please, which I use in restaurants when getting a second cup of tea. Thanks to Japanese 1 and 2, I'm able to buy a train ticket, count to 999,000, and say, whenever someone is giving me change, now you are giving me change. I can manage in a restaurant, take a cab, and even make small talk with the driver. Do you have children, I ask. Will you take a vacation this year? Where to? When he turns it around, as Japanese cab drivers are inclined to do, I tell him that I have three children, a big boy and two little girls. If Pimsler included, I am a middle-aged homosexual and thus make do with a niece I never see and a very small godson. I'd say that. In the meantime, I work with what I have. Isn't it interesting that while most of the time David Sedaris doesn't really refer to his sexuality, not directly, I mean he'll talk about his boyfriend Hugh, that's an obvious indicator that he's a gay man, but he doesn't really discuss it in depth except for that one essay that I read several episodes ago when I even wrote a paper about in my last class, entitled I Like Guys. I had to think about it for a second. He's almost, it's almost non-issue for him, but it gets brought up more in his diaries, mind you. If you haven't read his diaries, uh, you should at least check out the first half. (laughs) It's not typical of his books. for you to read and read and then get the gist of everything. But with his diaries, even though they're supposedly curated to be the best of what he wrote back in the day, it does get a little tiresome. I'll say that. It's entertaining, but for about the first half. And then uh, I stopped reading, and I never picked it back up. And what I want to say about this is Pimsler obviously wasn't thinking of being inclusive when they designed their program they were thinking of the typical standard family union which would be two cisgendered heterosexual men and women and two and a half kids now I'm not saying that that is how it's supposed to be in fact I think that we should be more inclusive and I consider myself very open-minded that's usually what someone says before they say something offensive but I'm not going to say anything (laughs) offensive Um, but I'm trying to evolve and I found that even though I've never been a prejudiced person, that, that doesn't mean that I am not supposed to change and evolve. For instance, when I wrote the paper on I Like Guys, I used the term homosexual. Why did I use that term? Well, because it's the term that I've heard my entire life. Uh, I had a professor recently use that term in class. It's used online by actual gay people. But unbeknownst to me, and this is on the Glad website, that homosexual is frowned upon as a term because it sounds clinical, and it was used by people who were homophobic or trying to pin uh, uh, homosexuality as a mental illness. I have to choose my words wisely. And that was a moment when my professor pointed it out and he just so happened to be a gay man, that it was an outdated term And he suggested that I didn't do my research well because I used that term. Now, the essay wasn't just on I Like Guys. It was for a teaching course. So the essay was a 12-page essay based on pedagogy. And in class, he told us that we could use, and he encouraged us to use, the source material that he provided us to us in class, which I did. Now, this professor, don't get me wrong, is actually pretty awesome. And it did make me reflect, as I still am, several months later, uh, almost half a year later, on... How that common language can be offensive, he said he wasn't offended by it, but that it was just outdated and it showed that I didn't do my research properly. Mind you, the research that was provided in class was not specifically for teaching a gay text. And I don't know that I would call I Like Guys a strictly gay text. Why am I getting off on this tangent? Because Sedaris points out something that is a problem now in that when you are taking a language course, when you're going out into the world, you're going to be encountering things that are ex- almost exclusive to people who are heteronormative. Did I use that term right? If I did, I'm proud of myself. So, what are we to do with this? Well, maybe nothing. But I have been thinking so much about my attitude and my thoughts and who I am and, um, in relation to the ever-changing world, how do my viewpoints and how do I conduct myself in this world and How do I express myself in this world? And I don't want to offend people. And it's not that I'm worried that people will think I'm homophobic or will think that I'm racist because you could walk down the street and look at someone funny and they think you're homophobic or racist. That's immaterial to me. But I don't want to offend people. There was a time where I was all about offending people intentionally because, hey, I was young and it was humorous and I liked comedians who did that, so I thought, well, why not? I wasn't going around saying hateful things, mind you, but there were things that I said or did that were stupid. I'm probably still doing stupid things. I've probably said stupid things on this podcast. Maybe this whole section of the podcast where I'm going on a tangent about David Sedaris and Pimsler and Homosexuality. Maybe that's ignorant of me. I don't fucking know. But I'm trying to better understand and comprehend things. Because I've always been of the mindset that as long as I wasn't a, a hateful asshole, that things would be okay. And maybe that's true. However, when it's pointed out to me that a term... Is outdated it it makes me think well what else about me is outdated and I'm taking an african-american literature course and on the first day the professor um, was talking about his kids and he was talking about a son and how his son was tall and he being a black man and having a black son he is only five six But his son's actually getting to be pretty tall. So people immediately ask him, because he's a young African-American tall kid, hey, are you going to be an NBA player? And that's racist. And the the professor said that assumption that because black men are taller, that they're more um, physically able to play basketball better, that's racist. That they, the best thing that they can achieve in our society is being a basketball play, player or a football player or any sort of sports thing is racist. And that's true. So people might have good intentions or they just might be ignorant and not think that they're being racist when they say things like that. But that's the thing. We have to, to consider our behavior and the way that we do things. I, I mean, I have, I have gay characters in my books, and I have black characters in my books. And as a white, straight, cisgender dude, well, what do, what do I really have to offer that a gay or a black author couldn't offer for their voice. I mean, there's a reason why I'm never going to have a book that's strictly from a woman's point of view, a black person's point of view, or a gay person's point of view, because I'm not any of that. I am one specific thing, and I only have the ability to express the experience from that specific thing's perspective. So when I, so this, this brings me to another question since we're on the topic and this is something that I've never considered. I've never considered David Sedaris to be a gay author. I've always considered him an author who was gay. Um, who just so happened to be gay, I guess I should say. And that was always immaterial to me. It didn't bother me. It didn't make me more interested in his writing either. Just like with Percival Everett, um, we went through the whole four episodes of Erasure. And, you know, he was insulted that his, well, Monk and Erasure, who was sort of the author's avatar, was insulted that his work was being included in a section. That was labeled African-American literature as if it was specifically for African-Americans because he was black. And that's ignorant. I didn't expect to get this deep today, but I guess it's been on my mind and I just wanted to talk about it. So this makes up for the four minutes that I spent rambling in the beginning instead of my usual ten, I guess. Let's get back into the essay. Hugh and I returned from China, and a few days later, I started prepping for a trip to Germany. The first time I went in 1999, I couldn't bring myself to say so much as Guten Morgen. The s- sounds felt false coming out of my mouth, so instead I spent my time speaking English apologetically. Not that the, ana- the, not that the apologies were needed. In Paris, yes, but in Berlin, people's attitude is, thank you for allowing me to practice my perfect English. And I do mean perfect. Are you from Minnesota? I kept asking. In the beginning, I was put off by the harshness of German. Someone would order a piece of cake and it sounded as if it were an actual order, like cut the cake and lie face down in that ditch between the cobbler and the little girl. I'm guessing this comes from having watched too much Second World War movies. Then I remembered the upteen... Fassbender films I sat through in the 80s, and German began to sound conflicted instead of heartless. I went back twice in 2000, and over time, the language grew on me. It's like English, but sideways. It's interesting um, that he's talking about this because I took both French and German in college. And German and French are not too dissimilar. I mean... I'm not saying that they're the same language at all, but the way that they're formatted is similar. So I was able to apply what I knew from French in terms of sentence structure to German because they say things that seem like they're backwards to us. I was once told by someone that uh, German is, is very much like English, but only a few differences, but that is not true in the slightest. I've made at least ten separate trips by now and have gone from one end of the country to the other. People taught me all sorts of words, but the only ones that stuck were Kaiserschnitt, which means cesarean section, and Lebensabschnittpartner. This mean this doesn't translate to lover or life partner, but rather to the person I'm with today. The implication being that things change, and you are keeping yourself open. For this latest trip, I wanted, I wanted to do better, so I downloaded all 30 lessons of Pimsleur German 1, which again starts off with, excuse me, do you understand English? As with the Japanese and Italian versions, the program taught me to count and to tell time. Again, I learned the girl is already big, and how are you? In Japanese and Italian, the response to the final question is, I'm fine, and you? In German, it's answered with a sigh and a slight pause, followed by, Not so good. I mentioned this to my German friend, Tilo, who said that, of course, that was the response. We can't get it through our heads that people are asking only to be polite, he said. In Japanese, one lesson seventeen, the actress who plays the wife says, "Kamonogashite ni desuga." I want to go shopping, but there's a problem, and you need to guess what it is. <laughs> Jesus! Oh, David Zadarius with the borderline sexism. The exercise is about numbers, so the husband asks how much money she has. She gives him a figure, and he offers to increase it incrementally. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be laughing at this on my podcast, but here we are. Similarly, in the German version, the wife announces that she wants to buy something. Ich et was etwas. Her husband asks how much money she has. And after she answers, he responds coldly, I'm not giving you any more. You've had enough. My wife has decided to regale us with more shower sounds. I hope you're into ASMR. There's no discord in Pimsleur's Japan, but it's Germany is a moody and often savage place. In one of the exercises, you're encouraged to argue with a bellhop who tries to cheat you out of your change and who ends up sneering you don't understand German. Oh, but I do, you learn to say. I do understand German. It's a program full of odd sentence combination. We don't live here. We want mineral water. Implies that if the couple did live in this particular town, they'd be getting drunk like everyone else. Another standout is, Der Wein ist zu in Sprechen zu schnell The wine is too expensive and you talk too fast. The response to this would be Anything else, air asshole But of course they don't teach you that. I have a complaint about reading Sedaris on the the podcast. I love reading Sedaris silently to myself. But much like when I read Brett Easton Ellis on the podcast, some someone whose writing I have read many many times, so I'm familiar with it. Reading it out loud is a totally different thing. And what's ironic about that is Sedaris writes things based on how he reads them. So He doesn't just publish things, he reads them out loud, he gauges audiences' reactions, and he changes things based on those reactions. So, he's much like a stand-up comic, I promise I can speak today. No, let's go ahead and address this. I sometimes fuck up when I speak on this podcast. I'm a human being, and if you don't like it, you're listening to the wrong podcast. Go listen to fucking Terry Gross. On our last trip to Tokyo, Hugh and I rented an apartment in a nondescript neighborhood, a few subway stops from Shinjuku Station. A representative from the real estate agency met us at the front door, and when I spoke to him in Japanese, he told me I needed to buy myself some manga Read those and you'll learn how people actually talk, he said. You, you're a little too polite. See, that's the thing. When you learn German or French or Spanish in these courses, college courses or Pimsler, they're not teaching you how people actually talk in these countries. So when you're an American and you've taken four French courses at the college level like I have, and you go over to France, they're going to fucking laugh at you. By the way, I took French in high school, and I took it in college. How much French do I actually know? The way that these courses are structured is so so obnoxious to me, because you have to both learn how to read and write and speak the language. Whereas with Pimsleur or coffee break French, you're just learning how to speak it. And they don't go over conjugation as in depth in those audio courses as much as they do in the language courses. Now, don't get me wrong, the language courses are supposed to teach you about language, especially if you're an English major because you're supposed to understand language and you're supposed to take the knowledge from those language courses and applied them to English. So when I took an actual English language course where we diagram sentences, it was like I was taking a foreign language course. Even though I speak English, I write English, I can read English. However, the best way, and so many people will tell you this, to, to learn a language is to go to the country where they speak that language. I know what he was getting at, but I really don't see this as much of a problem, especially if you're a foreigner, and any perceived rudeness can turn someone not just against you, but against your entire country. Here, Pimsler has it all over the phrase books of my youth, where the ugly American was still alive and kicking people. I didn't order this, he raged in Greek and Spanish. Think you can cheat me, do you? Go away or I'll call the police. Now, for the traveling American, there's less of a need for phrase books. Not only do we expect everyone to speak our language, we expect everyone to be fluent. I rarely hear an American vacationer say to a waiter or a shopkeeper in Europe, your English is so good. Rather, we act as if it is part of their his job, like carrying a tray or Making change. In this respect, the phrase books and audio programs are an almost charming throwback, a suggestion that the traveler put himself out there, that he opens himself to criticism, and not the person who's just trying to scrape by selling meat in Bumfuckio, Italy. Is this a real place? <laughs> okay. It is B-U-M-F-U-C-C-H-I-O. That could be a real place. I don't want to be offensive, but it looks like bumfuckio, okay? And that's similar (laughs) to bumfuck Egypt, which is kind of offensive. Not to me. Look, we don't need white people going around saying what's offensive to other people. That's just the fucking truth, okay? There is nothing that you can say to me about who I am that I will find offensive. Now, I do get irritated by the misandry online. And I feel like that's just in a sense because there's so much misogyny in our culture and there's been misogyny for centuries. However, you don't battle uh, oppression from Trying to voice more oppression, like saying that men shouldn't be allowed to speak. That's, I know that you are addressing a specific group of people. And it doesn't offend me when you say men shouldn't speak. However, it's ignorant. And you can't fight ignorance with more ignorance. One of the things I like about Tokyo is the constant reinforcement one gets for trying. You are very skilled at Japanese, everyone keeps telling me. I know people are just being polite, but it spurs me on, just as I hope to be spurred on in Germany. To this end, I've added a second audio program, one by a man named Michael Thomas, who works with a couple of students, a male and a female. At the start, he explains that German and English are closely related and thus have a lot in common. In one language, the verb is to come, and in the other, it's kommen. English to give is German geben. Boston's that is good is Berlin's Das ist gut. It's an excellent way to start and leaves the listener thinking, hey, Ich kann do this. Unlike the nameless instructor in Pimsleur, Air Thomas explains things. The fact, for example, that if there are two verbs in a German sentence, one of them comes at the end. He doesn't give you the phrases to memorize. In fact, he actively discourages study. How would you say, give it to me, he asks the female student. She and I correctly answer, and then he turns to the male. Now, try, I would like for you to give it to me. Ten minutes later, we graduated to, I can't give it to you today because I cannot find it. To people who speak nothing but English, this might seem easy enough, but anyone else will appreciate how difficult it is. Negatives multiple uses of it, and the hell that breaks loose following the German because. The thrill is that you're actually figuring it out on your own. You're engaging with another language, not just parroting it. Walking through the grocery store with Pimsler und Thomas on my iPod, I picture myself pulling up to my Munich hotel with my friend Uldrich, who's only ever known me to say cesarean section and the person I'm with until someone better comes along. Blieben wir ihr Hüt Abend, I plan to say. Wir will noch zwei, das ist Tür nicht wahr. She's a wonderful woman, your Ulrich. And if that's all I get out of this, seeing the shock register on her face as I nader on, it would be well worth my, ma- my month of study. All this German is twisting my tongue. Look, I have to tell you about my German experience. And we're almost at the end of the essay. But the reason why I took German in college is because I did not want to take French in college. So I did a very dumb thing. And I think that my advisor should have been a bit wiser about this. And I'm going to give you the lowdown on taking college courses. Take your foreign language early because I waited until my fourth year and then into my fifth year. So I ended up taking French in college because I dropped the two-quarter course, which was a German 1101 and a German 1102 in one semester which is fucking insane but I retook it because I dropped it and I got the WF okay so in my last semester in college I had a lot of fun studying German and I did it differently than the first time around because I already taken French and I knew how to study for a foreign language through trial and error which by the way, if you want to know how I did it and how it worked for me, I got up early each morning, I'm not saying that you have to get up early, but this is what I did. And as I had two and a half men on on my laptop, I would copy terms over and over. I would do the verbs, I would do sentences. I didn't speak it in my house. I spoke it in class, but we weren't really tested on speaking so much. We were tested on how we were able to write and read it. So it, anytime a professor says you shouldn't cram before a test, they are lying to you, by the way. You need to study as much as you can, sure, especially foreign language. But the night before a foreign language exam, absolutely fucking cram. I would get a cheeseburger and fries and a big drink. Always a diet drink, of course. I'd sit in front of the TV and I would study for hours until I had it down. And then in the morning, I would look over it again. And then I would take the exam and I did all right. Perhaps this evening after dinner, I'll turn on the TV in my hotel room. And maybe if I'm lucky, I'll understand One out of every 200 words. The trick, ultimately, is to not let that discourage me. To think, oh well, that's more than I understood the last time I watched TV in Germany. That was a few years back in Stuttgart. There was a television mounted on a perch in my room, and I turned it on to find a couple having sex. This wasn't a pay-per-view, but just regular Sunday night TV. And I mean, these two were really going at it. If I had had The Lonely Planet Guide to Germany... I might have recognized, please don't stop. That was amazing slash weird. With Herr Thomas, I could understand, I just gave it to you. And with Pimsler, I would like to come now. <laughs> okay. I watched this couple for a minute or two, <laughs> and then I advanced to the next channel, which was snowed out unless you paid for it. What could they possibly doing here that they weren't doing for free on the other station? I asked myself, turning each other inside out. And isn't that the joy of foreign travel? There's always something to scratch your head over. You don't have to be fluent in order to wonder. Rather, you can sit there with your mouth open. Not exactly dumb, just speechless. I... I'm not going to be reading a second essay for this episode. I will read Standing Still next Saturday or Sunday, if I get around to it. And we will continue our series on Let's Explore Diabetes with Owls. At this point, I imagine that you're not interested in hearing me speak anymore, because I have concluded the first essay. I thank you for listening to Demise of the Podcast with Patrick Attaway. If you would like to support the podcast, and yes, I saved this for the end so you didn't have to listen to it at the beginning. If you'd like to support the podcast, I don't have a Patreon, I don't have a PayPal, I don't have any of that shit, okay? Buy my books. I am on Amazon as Patrick Attaway, same as the podcast, same as Twitter, and you can find my books of poetry, short stories, and I have three novels. If you're unfamiliar with my work, you can go back and listen to many episodes of the podcast where I discuss it individually. So thank you for listening. Happy reading and happy weekend.